If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, looking at verses 1 through 11 together. And I've titled this morning's message, Instructions for the Church. I don't know if that's the best title for this passage or not. There are certainly other places in Scripture where we find instructions for the church. You can look back in Acts chapter 2. Maybe that's the example of a church. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is writing to a group of believers who are in dire suffering. They are being persecuted and some of them even killed for their faith. And he gives a charge in 1 Peter chapter 5 as he wraps up his letter with specific instructions for elders, for those who are younger, and for the church as a whole. As I started to, to look back at the state of First Baptist Church, you know, over the last four and a half years since I've been blessed to be called your pastor, now we have had some great times and we have had some struggles. As a, a church, we have seen growth. As a church also, we've, we've lost some people who are very dear to us. And so we have seen kind of these ups and downs, but overall, I don't know that I can put myself in the position of the church that Peter is writing to. We've not seen quite the persecution that this church has seen. But we've had great growth over the last four and a half years, and I'm very thankful for the new families we have at our church. Uh, when we first came, we were running uh, four and a half years ago. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm throwing out some numbers here, around 70 or so individuals. Last year, our average attendance was 115. That was wonderful. I was so thankful for that. We have seen uh, several people have had the a blessing and privilege to, to baptize. They've made professions of faith and have wanted to make that public. Uh, some children that we've been able to, to baptize who have made professions of faith. And some adults that we have been able to baptize that have made professions of faith. That we see spiritual growth in our church. I'm thankful for our Sunday school classes that have been growing. Our Sunday school attendance when I first came was somewhere around, I don't know, 40 or 50. And I think last year we averaged above 60, closer to 70 people. And so we've seen people getting plugged into discipleship, into small groups. Uh, we've got some wonderful small group Sunday school teachers. Uh, three adult classes. We've started a, a college class, college and career class. And we have our high school and our middle school. And, and by the way, our youth department is growing. If you've not seen what God is doing on Sunday nights and through our, our high school and our middle school students, there were four students up here this morning from Believe, but they've been pulling in their friends from the community as well. How, how many total students went to Believe this week? Was there 13? I, I knew it was over 10. 13, not high school and middle school, 13 middle school students, just our junior high department, 13. We're getting ready to go to camp, which is our high school and middle school uh, this summer. Our, our mission camp, uh, it's a camp that has mission projects as well. Now, we've taken mission groups in the past that have, that have had uh, 10, 11, 12 people. Uh, again, that's adults and students. This year for mission camp, I believe there's a total of 20 of us, and 16 of them are students. Now, we have seen God growing in the ministries of our church. I'm so excited to see what God is going to do with our Wednesday night children's ministry. 
Jam kicked off this past week. And, and when Loretta and I were first talking about what to expect with Jam, I said, you know, for starting off, it will probably be some of our, our regular church kids. And so there may be four or five in there, and it'll be something we can grow. Well, wouldn't you know it, God laughed at us and sent 12 kids to Jam this past Wednesday night. It was amazing. And Ashton came home talking about how much she loved Jam. She really enjoyed it, and it was just telling me all about what she learned and the, the stories and the Bible time, and they're learning the books of the Bible, and boy, she's spitting off the ones they learned. And you can see growth in our church. So when I, I look at how our church is growing over the last few years, I can't honestly say we can completely identify with the church that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're not a persecuted church at First Baptist right now. We're not. We have a great unity of spirit. We have individual struggles that we, we come together and struggle with, but, but overall, I feel like we're, we're in a good place. And can I tell you, that really scares me. It really, really does. I told Hannah towards the end of last year, I really feel like 2019 is going to be a year for our church that stretches us. God can do what he wants to with growth. And he may continue the growth trend that we've had over the last four years. But I'm going to go ahead and let you know, just by experience and by your own experience, the growth doesn't continue forever. Right? There, there eventually is a plateau and there eventually is a dip. That's just how it works. God works in and through this intentionally. And I told Hannah towards the end of 2018, I really feel like 2019 is going to be the time that our church has to decide, are we excited and want to move forward with what God's doing when we don't see the same numerical growth? Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. The Lord has certainly tested us with weather in 2019, hasn't he? Seems like the snow always falls Saturday night and Sunday morning. And so our average has not been this year 115 people as it was last year. Is there still the excitement and the enthusiasm? We've had our fair share of controversies. Uh, nothing big and nothing major, but little things within our church that, that some of you all are aware of. Others of you are oblivious to, and thank goodness. But little things that happen here or there that, that just hurt or they sting. Nothing major, nothing that will split a church, but just, just struggles and trials that have come. But personal struggles and trials from some of you, and in other ways, corporate struggles and trials. This morning, we don't look at the book of 1 Peter because I think we're a persecuted church. We look at the book of 1 Peter because I know that persecution comes with faithfulness. And I want to be ready when things aren't always as rosy as they are now. And so with that in mind, we need to look at 1 Peter chapter 5 at instructions that he gives us as a church. You know, I absolutely love the Christmas season. I don't know if it's my absolute favorite time of the year. I love March because basketball and all the things that come with basketball. But I, I think second is probably the Christmas season. We're a Christmas family. I, I love putting up the tree early. Yes, we're those people that usually put the tree up either at Thanksgiving or even a little before. We keep the tree up late. It's up even after New Year's oftentimes. I put lights on the house. We enjoy getting together. I love the Christmas songs 
And not just the hymns we sing at church, but, but I love the, the traditional Christmas CDs that we have that we play. We have one CD in particular that I didn't know anything about until I married into this wonderful family, The Bachelors. Uh, there's a man named Roger Whitaker, and if you've never heard of him, you're not alone. I love Roger Whitaker's Christmas album. I absolutely love it. I used to make fun of it, and now it's one of my favorites. You know, what I love about Christmas is, is being around a joyful family who is celebrating the birth of Christ. And what I hate about Christmas is the gifts. It's not for why you think. It's not because I'm, I'm not into the commercialism. I love giving gifts. I love receiving gifts. That's fun. But I, I hate this about gifts. It's, it's the three words that all dads hate and, and most parents hate. And that is when your kid rips open the box and you see those three dreaded words, some assembly required. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? As a matter of fact, I can remember my first guitar I ever got. I opened it up, and there was a box with this beautiful-looking guitar, and, well, it looks something like this. Some assembly required. Have you ever had toys that you open the box, and you think, some assembly? What's a factory for? Why didn't you put this together there, you know? And what's the first thing you do when you when you open that up and you've got all these pieces, the first thing you do is you open up the instructions, right? Unless you're a dad, in which case you throw those aside and then you, you get your tools out and you try to figure it out on your own. You know how many times I've abandoned the instruction and put it together backwards? More than I care to admit. And some of those screws aren't meant to unscrew. So you put those in there and it locks it into place and now you're trying to figure out how to squeeze it and pull it and get... Now, things go a whole lot easier when you, when you keep the instruction manual, don't they? This morning, as we look at these instructions for the church, can I tell you, we can do church without the instruction manual. There are a lot of churches who are trying to do that. We can do church based on what we think is best and, and how we think it should come together and what we think it should look like. But can I tell you this morning, if we want a church that is thriving the way God wants it to thrive, we need to heed the words that Peter is writing to the church, and to us. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Uh, We're going to be visiting some of these verses back again, so they'll be up on the screen for now. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, That is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As Peter is writing to the the church that is suffering, he is writing to them specific instructions to keep the faith. And so he he wants to address first the elders of the church. Now, the elder of the church or the elders of the church would have been equivalent to the, the pastors of the church. I want you to think when you hear the word elders, those who are elder in the faith and doing the teaching. Now, that doesn't mean just the senior pastor. I don't know that they always had just a senior pastor. There was probably a plurality of elders that taught and rotated and served the church. It were the the men of the church who had grown strong in their faith and were now discipling and teaching others. Those of you who are elder in your faith, there's a specific instruction that Peter wants to give. Our instructions for elders this morning is to shepherd the flock. I want you to know this first point in the sermon is really, really geared towards me. And so I'm preaching to myself, and I'm preaching to to some of the leaders in our church. But it's important for us all to understand what the elders of the church are called to do. When Peter wants to give encouragement to the church, he starts with the elders, and that's why in verses 1 and 2, he says, I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. We've got a lot of of churchy type phrases that we throw out there. And sometimes we we hear them and we just assume we know what it means to, to shepherd the flock. Doesn't that sound very elderly? A very pastoral. We're going to, <clears throat> I'm going to shepherd my flock now. But what in the world does it mean to shepherd the flock? I can't help but think of, of some sort of plucking, and I know that's chickens, but, but shepherding the flock just feels like I should be going there and grabbing handfuls of wool, and I don't know, is that what shepherding is, you know? But what does it mean to shepherd the flock? Well, it assumes two things in this analogy. Number one, it assumes there is a shepherd, someone who's taking care of the sheep, and it assumes there are sheep. Now, I'm going to let you go ahead and guess who in this analogy is the shepherd and who are the sheep. Who, is, who would be the shepherd in this analogy? The elders or the, the pastors of this congregation. And so who are the sheep? I'm going to say something that's going to get me fired, so don't throw stuff at me. But sheep are really stupid animals. They really are. Now, I, I know this is somewhere where the analogy may break down, and that's okay. Uh, but I don't know that it always does. And it's not to say that the church is stupid and the shepherd is smart. That's not what it says at all. What it says is the sheep need the shepherd. The sheep need guidance. The people of God need an elder to, to help guide them. And so there there are good shepherds, kind shepherds, loving shepherds, and there are mean, abusive shepherds. Think of actual physical shepherds. There are some who look at their sheep and go, why won't you do what I have to say? And they take their staff and they they whack them. 
There are other shepherds who lovingly pick up their sheep and carry them where they need to go. Peter makes it very clear the type of shepherd the elders ought to be. It's not an abusive, domineering, overpowering shepherd. It's a shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep. Not because they're ignorant or stupid, but because they need guidance. Part of being a a godly elder or a godly shepherd is that, that the elder or the shepherd is giving direction to the sheep. Now, I want to say something else that that may get me fired as well. Because you may think I'm trying to shirk my responsibilities, and I am not. But First Baptist does not have one shepherd. Not one elder. We have one pastoral staff person, but, but there is an assumption here with the elders that I think is important to realize. The assumption is, not just that they're elder in faith, but, but it's that they're older in age. You know, Peter could have written, those of you who are elder in the faith act this way, but he didn't. He just said, elders of the church. Because there's an assumption that the older you are, and the more time you've spent in the word, the more you're going to understand, and the more you have to teach and to give. I say part of where Satan is going to attack any church, and specifically First Baptist Church, is in this idea of, of elders who will not be shepherds. God has called me vocationally to be a shepherd, but God has called you as an individual to be a shepherd as well. This very well could be said, all of you who are older in the faith, any of you who have grown in your faith, if you have something to teach someone and guide someone in, do it. The, the younger among you need guidance and direction. That means you as an individual should be, it's assumed, growing in your faith and guiding others. Some people really enjoy this. They, they love having a position of power within the church. And so there are times uh, that someone will aspire to be a leader in the church. Not because they want to shepherd, but because they enjoy the fact that they're older in the faith and they want to domineer over others. There are times that people want to be a deacon in a church simply because it's a good title. And they have the, the ability to put that across their chest. And I half expect them to have a bumper sticker. I'm a, I'm a deacon at such and such church. You know, It's this badge of pride. But that's not the type of leadership God is calling you to, is it? God is calling you not to be domineering and have a position or a title, but just to grow in your faith so that you can shepherd someone else. This is discipleship is what this is. When he says shepherd the faith, it's a reminder that there are sheep in the church who need guidance. Yes, the pastor is there to do that, but but God has called you as an elder of the church to shepherd others as well. How are you investing in the younger people of our church? I don't just mean junior high and high school or children. How are you investing in the the new believers of our church? Those who have not been uh, Christians as long as you have. What are you doing to help teach them and to help guide them? The, The first instruction is to the elders, but it's not just to the pastors. It's to those who are assumed to have grown. And so the question is, are you growing in your faith so that you can lead? Are you in God's word so that you can teach? 
I've seen, I've seen elders who are well along in years who have been, been faithfully serving and pouring into the life of a church. But you know what? I've seen elders who were juniors and sophomores in high school who took it among themselves as, as someone who had been a believer longer than his peers to lead in prayer, to, to lead in Bible study. One of my favorite, and I don't mind calling him an elder, even though that wasn't the official title, one of my favorite elders I ever got to see grow in his faith was a, a kid named James Max at my church in North Carolina. When I got there, I believe he was a sophomore. Maybe he was a junior. He, he was young. And he started a before-school Bible study at a local donut shop before school. And so he had probably about 15 high school kids, some from our church, a lot from just the school, who would show up. And I, I attended these, and I, I didn't teach or anything. I just went and I listened as he opened up the Word of God on a weekly basis and shared God's Word with his peers. I listened to him pray. You know, I, I'm embarrassed sometimes that, that when I call on a, a church to pray, embarrassed isn't the right word. Not everybody's comfortable praying out loud, but, but it is kind of embarrassing sometimes when I'm in a room full of adults, who wants to pray and there's nothing? I never had that problem when James Max was in the room. He was begging me to pray. This was a, a high school student who I have no problem saying was an elder with his peers. Is God calling you to shepherd somebody? Is God calling you to lead somebody, to teach somebody, to invest in somebody? There is somebody in this church who is younger than you. Is God calling you to invest in them? But then there's a, a short instruction for those who are, are younger as well. Those who are older, you need to be shepherding the flock, but the instructions for the younger are to be subject. Be subject. Be willing to listen and be willing to learn. That's why we read in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Well, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one because it's going to tie into the instructions for all believers. But, but can I tell you that no matter how old or young you are, there is someone who is more mature spiritually than you in an area of life that needs to teach you and you need to listen. It doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for five minutes, for five days, five weeks, months, five years, or 50 years. All of us need to be subject to listen to the Word of God when it's being taught. I wonder if you and I can... can assign ourselves not just the position of elder to someone, but can we also realize that we are younger in the faith in some areas and aspects of our walk than others? That we need to listen and be subject to? We need to take advice from? And the reason why we're not spending a whole lot of time here is because Peter doesn't spend a whole lot of time. He looks at them and he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he immediately jumps into instructions for everyone. And it ties into this be subject. Instructions for all believers, Peter writes, is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. You know the reason why I have a hard time making myself uh, someone younger and being subject to, to teaching and shepherding and, and just being a dumb sheep is because I have a hard time humbling myself. Now, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, in verse 6, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. 
These are instructions for the elders. Be humble. The instructions for the younger. Be humble. Be willing to be told you're wrong and be corrected. Be willing to serve in areas that no one else will serve. Be willing to sacrifice for the good of other people. Be willing to examine yourself and understand you have something to learn. The the problem with being an elder in the church, whether you're a pastor or whether you're an elder sitting in the congregation, is that we have this assumption that all sheep are dumb and that we have something to teach, but we have nothing to learn. I think what Peter is trying to remind all of us here is that our humility, our coming before others and before God, admitting our faults and our weaknesses, is what causes our faith to grow and strengthen. Humble yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, Paul would say. Realize that you have something to learn and something to to grow in. Realize that maybe the message that's being shared in your small group Sunday school class or from the pulpit or on a Wednesday night Bible study or even from your child who's coming home and telling you what they learned, maybe that message is meant to change you. We've never had a problem since we've been at First Baptist Church. My family's never had a problem feeling loved and welcomed by our congregation. You all are, and I don't mean this to exaggerate, the most loving congregation we've ever served, ever. I'm so blessed to be your pastor. I don't ever have a problem of not having respect and love and honor from from you. My family feels the same way. And I will say, while I feel extremely blessed to be called your pastor and feel respected for the way you love and you invest in my family, there is one way which I feel is, is often not meant as disrespect to to teaching that that comes across that way because we fail to humble ourselves. And that is when the Word of God is taught, too often, instead of humbling ourselves, we puff our chest out and we say, I've got that down. I wish somebody else was here to hear that. I tell you, as much as I know you love me, it cuts me deep that, that there are times the Word of God is proclaimed and it doesn't change hearts and it doesn't change lives. I'm often confused and perplexed, not because I think I do such a good job preaching, but because this Word does such a good job of instructing. And when the Word of God is is taught in a small group Sunday school class or or on a Sunday morning pulpit or in a Bible study on Sunday afternoon, sometimes I wonder if if anyone is even, even wondering how that applies to their own life. I'm afraid that too often when the Word of God is preached, we don't humble ourselves before it looking for ways for it to change us. Instead, we're exalting ourselves, patting ourselves on the back. Even this morning, some of you I I know because I've been in your position of hearing a sermon. Some of you all are sitting there going, I'm glad that I can be an elder of this church. And you've completely missed the part of being submissive and being subject and learning and listening and growing. Sermon after sermon, Bible study after Bible study, reading of the Word of God after reading of the Word of God, and and probably the thing that hurts the most is seeing fellow Christians fail to humble themselves before the, the true, almighty Word of God. 
I wonder this morning if, if the danger and the persecution that we will one day face will overwhelm us because we're not ready to learn when times are good. The instructions for all believers is to be humble, to realize we have not attained what God has called us to attain, that we're still works in progress, that we don't have all the answers and we don't have everything together, that we need the word today as much as we needed it the day we received Christ. I wonder this morning if we can humble ourselves, not before the pastor, not before the elders, if we can humble ourselves before the word of God and let it teach us when it's opened. I believe the instructions for the church can be summed up in in those two words. Humble yourself. Come before God with open arms, ready to be taught. Teach others when it's appropriate. Guide others and invest in others and and never forget that, that you still are a work in progress as well. This morning, I'm thankful for the state of our church. I'm thankful for the unity we have. I'm thankful for the togetherness we have. But I want to warn you that that whether it's 2019 or whether it's a future year, the trials and the struggles are going to come. We're going to find ourselves like the church that Peter is writing to. And we're going to be tested on whether or not we followed the instruction manual. Whether we've discipled and invested in, in those who are younger whether we've constantly had an attitude of of submissiveness and learning, whether we've humbled ourselves to receive and learn from the Word of God. This morning, as we come to our time of invitation, I, I want it to be a time that we humble ourselves. That regardless of what music is played or sung, regardless of whether you're up here leading or whether you're sitting down there, let it be a time that we say, Lord, there's so much more you have to teach me. There's so much more you have for me to learn. There's so much more you want me to grow in. And regardless of whether things are good or whether things are poor, Lord, I come before you with open arms, ready to be taught by your word. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I'm grateful and blessed to be a part of your creation, the church. I'm thankful for my brothers and my sisters in Christ who have discipled me and taught me so much in my time here. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who I have the privilege of serving. Lord, your instructions for us this morning are to teach based on what we have learned, to disciple and to invest, to shepherd others. Lord, they're equally to open our arms, to humble ourselves, and to be subject to learn and to grow. Lord, I pray this morning that we would always come to your word with open arms, ready to be changed, knowing there is so much more for us to learn in our faith. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and Almighty God this morning. And we ask that you would teach us, not just through your message today, but give us a lifestyle and an attitude of learning and studying and growing. Lord, we come before you humble and asking you to lead us now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.